Hello, I am Ariel Munafo. And I am Moshe Ferber. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast. The podcast about security engineering. Hello everyone, another episode of Silver Lining Podcast. And with me as always, Moshe. How are you, Moshe? Very good, Ariel. Good to see you. How are you? Very good, and uh, with us today uh, from uh, London uh, to Tel Aviv, uh, Oren Penso. How are you, Oren? Hey, I'm fine, Ariel. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here, uh, Oren. We're going to talk about service mesh and microservices and cool uh, new technologies. But first of all, can you please introduce yourself and uh, what you're doing in VMware? Yeah, sure. So uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Oren Penso. I'm a senior product line manager for Kubernetes Security. I'm in VMware for the last four and a half years doing cloud native containers, Kubernetes, and everything around that. Um, but my background is uh, going way back in the industry for more than 20 years uh, on the infrastructure side. Um, so yeah, it's, it's exactly the points that we will connect, the dots that we will connect today. Okay, so a uh, great couple of words about uh, VMware and uh, Kubernetes. I know you're a member of the CNCF, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, how do you adopt this uh, platform? Yeah, so uh, VMware uh, started the journey with Cloud Native a long, long time ago, but the first significant point in time where we uh, contributed to Kubernetes was the acquisition of Heptio that was founded by the founders of Kubernetes, uh, which are Craig McClacky and Joe Beda. Um, and from that point, VMware became the second largest contributor to Kubernetes. And, and alongside of that, also contributing to a lot of other open source projects like Istio in, in Service Mesh, and I will talk about it also, but a, a real player in the cloud native landscape for the last, I, I would say, six years or even more than that. Okay, so let's uh, let's dive in. We all know that we want to develop cloud native and Kubernetes considered like cloud native. And we all know that we want to develop in microservices, which is the way that we develop the application on top of the infrastructure. A couple of words about microservices and how does that interact with the word Kubernetes and, uh, and containers? Yeah, so if you think about it, the, uh, the, the transformations we had along the time in technology was most of the time driven by infrastructure on the movement between physical to virtual servers and the improvements that we had in compute and networking and storage and everything else. That was the, the engine that basically pushed the technology forward. In this case, the, the evolution that we are seeing right now is an evolution that is being dri- driven by the software industry, by the microservices development. And, and the reason for that is around the business transformation. So digital transformation drives a, a need to make changes uh, frequently and, and, and bring them to production in, in a faster way to be relevant in the uh, business side. And because of that, the small changes that we need to change and change the architecture of the application, which is basically microservices. So microservices is a small chunk of code that does something which is unique, and it's not related on in, into any other chunk of code or uh, bits of, of microservices. It can, be, uh, it can run independently without any alignment with anything else. Now, that microservice um, needs to be a... a Um, supported by an infrastructure component. And the infrastructure component, the smallest infrastructure component that we knew before uh, that evolution was a VM. 
Now, if you think about it, if you're taking a small chunk of code and you put that on a VM, that's not something which is sufficient, right? You can take that small chunk of code and run that with a smaller infrastructure component that will support that. And that's where containers comes into play. Containers is not something new. It's been around since the 50s, 60s. It's part of the Linux kernel. And now, or not right now, right? for the last 10 years, it's being heavily adopted as that infrastructure component to support the application development side of microservices. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, this is microservices, and basically it helps us to produce software faster with more reliable upgrades and a uh, more resilient software. So sounds all good. What are the challenges of microservices? So if you think about it, and let, let's do like a, a, a rewind in, in time, when we've transitioned from physical servers to virtual servers, we had a lot of challenges just trying to manage the amount of components that we have now in our organization, right? Every physical server became 30, 40 VMs. Now you need to connect those to a network. You need to secure those. You need to monitor and get observability on, on the components. Basically, you need to manage a lot more components, right? Now, if you think about it, take that same structure and abstraction and do that, add that layer of containers. So each and every one of those VMs now becomes 200, 300, 400 containers. The sheer amount of components that you have in the organization, that's the challenge. Right, as you said, there's a good value of that uh, transition from code to production as fast as you can because it's small chunks and it's individual, independent, and you can run that uh, without affecting anything else. But from the other side, each and every one of those containers are now an independent component running in your environment. It has its own networking stack, compute stack, storage stack, and so on and so forth. And you need to address that challenge of just the amount of components you need to manage. Okay, um, so this takes us into service mesh. Where, from what I know, when applications become really complicated and many different services or segments or containers need to talk to each other, we need service mesh. But that's about all I know about it. Can you tell us a little bit what is service mesh? What do you need it and what do we use it for? Yeah, definitely. So if we will take the same example that we've took with the movement between physical to virtual to containers, um, those virtual those virtual servers, let's take a website, right? The front-end website uh, was basically installed in one virtual machine. The different components of that website, the communication between the different components inside the same virtual machine was with RPC calls over the same OS, right? Same operating system, same CPU, same memory, and one process called another, and that's the way basically that you form that application, the web server. Now, if you think about it, breaking those different microservices, basically breaking all of those different components to different parts. Each and every, let's take that same example of the front-end server, each process or each part of that web server is now an independent container. And the communication between those containers are now over the network. It's not in the not, not in RPC calls in the same OS, in the same virtual server. So if they are running freely in the network, right, and the communication between those different components is over the network, you need to have a lot of different capabilities just to understand what is the structure of the application. What's the connectivity between the microservices? Every microservices should know the other microservices or service discovery. You need to have visibility about the communication between those microservices because one of those microservices, if it will misbehave, it will ripple effect all the application, right? Because one thing can affect the another. 
And you also need to understand what's the end user experience and what's affecting that. So visibility, connectivity, and of course, security. In the same OS, RPC calls are secured in the same virtual machine. Now over the network, you can have a lot of different attack surfaces that you didn't have before. So you need to encrypt the communication between the microservices so you won't have a man in the middle, just as an example, right? But those are the three main points. Service discovery, so visibility, availability, security, and, 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 and yeah, that, that's service mesh. Now, service mesh is a concept, just another like a, a, about that specific concept of service mesh. Service mesh means connecting the dots between a lot of different microservices to a context of an application, right? It's running on layer seven, it's an application context, it's an application layer. It's taking the network another level of virtualization. So you have already out, outside, you have a lot of technologies of software-defined network, which took that physical network and basically virtualized that. Service Mesh is taking that virtualization of the network another step up the stack towards the application level. Mm -hmm. Okay, so do you think I can call it like the... the I'll ask it differently. If I'm using service mesh, will I need a firewall? Will I need an ingress filter? I mean, does it replace them? Does it contain the firewall features inside of them? So that's a great question, and it also relates into the evolution of service mesh. The simple answer is you will need probably a firewall as well. And I will tell you why. It's easy. Even if I'm playing in layer 7 and everything is being managed and secured in layer 7, you still want to basically remove any communication except that 443 HTTPS connectivity between the microservices and everything else. So in, in security in general, you're just adding layers of security. You're not removing layers of security. Firewall will do its thing and it will allow you to communicate only in port 443, which will minimize the attack surface in other ways, the OS, the different uh, 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 exposures of the containers and so on and so forth, it will leave only that tunnel of layer seven for service mesh. And inside of that tunnel, then you can create application policies, user rights, assignments, and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's not removing layers. It's just another layer of, of security. Okay, so probably outside of the Kubernetes, I will have some kind of firewall. We will filter out the, the everything except from 443. Then I'll have some kind of uh, a 443 coming inside. Do I still need the ingress, fil uh, ingress um, component of the Kubernetes? So we will. I think that we will focus our call uh, today on Istio, and Istio has its own ingress uh, uh, gateway. Mm -hmm. The way that the service mesh is working from an architectural perspective is you have an entry point. You have a mesh inside the cluster, and then you have an exit point, which is the egress. So ingress, cluster, egress. And everything is being managed by the uh, control plane of the service mesh. So the simple answer is no, you don't need any ingress controller. It's part of that service mesh product. And in Istio specifically, that ingress controller is Envoy proxy, which you can use regardless of Istio, by the way. Uh, but it's part of the Istio uh, uh, product or offering to create that service mesh and mesh. Okay, so if you already mentioned Istio, so I guess this is one type of service mesh. Any other uh, uh, types of service mesh and a couple of words on the difference between them? Yeah, so I, I think that for that, we will start maybe in the history of, of service mesh. Service mesh is not something new. It's not like a, a single architecture concept. And uh, the first major solution or set of solutions in the own open source that addressed those 
challenges that we've talked about, discovery, visibility, security, uh, was Netflix OSS. It came out of Netflix. It, Netflix contributed that to the community. It's an open source. It's still there. There's a lot of companies that are still using Netflix OSS. The difference between it, Netflix OSS, and I, I would call it the new service meshes, is the architecture of implementation. Netflix OSS is part of the libraries inside the code, and it's developed. it was developed initially for Java. And if you haven't used Java, you would need like, to do a lot of adjustment to use Netflix OSS. And what Istio Service Mesh and other service meshes along the time did is decouple that from the code, taking that components from the libraries and create a sidecar architecture. When I'm saying sidecar, it's basically taking the proxy concept and injecting that into Kubernetes pod. Kubernetes has the, uh, the notion of pods. Inside the pod, you can run different containers. So when you're decoupling that capabilities from the code itself to a different container that does exactly that and just that, first of all, you're not related, like you're not dependent on the type of code that you're developing. And the second thing is that container can have a lot of additional capabilities because all the network from that pod externally is being directed through that container. And that's the difference with the architecture between, let's say, Netflix OSS and Istio. Um, and in, in, in the case of the sidecar, as I said, you can add additional components without affecting the code, which is really important. So the, the abstraction of a proxy, just like we did like in virtualization and before that with other infrastructure components, when you abstract something, you're basically solving a problem. You're not dependent on, on specific code. You're not dependent on specific language. And you can have all the capabilities externally. Okay, so this is ISO and this is uh, OSS. Other types of uh, service mesh, just for the record? Yeah, th there's a lot. So uh, basically, uh, you've, you've mentioned the CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, which Kubernetes is part of it. So inside the CNCF, you have a, 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 another service mesh called Linkerd. Um, and you have also a lot of other solutions in the market like Kong uh, and, and others. So Basically, there's a lot of different uh, open source service meshes, and there's also a lot of different offerings uh, for service meshes. So uh, Nginx, I think, also has an offering for service mesh. Okay. I'm trying to understand what type of security decision can I use uh, ISTO or uh, any other service mesh for. So I'm guessing the filtering, okay, we all discussed who can talk to who. Uh, um, can I also do, uh, I don't know, application decisions like uh, authorization of the API or just access to the API? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, because you're already inside the application layer, you have the understanding of everything that goes inside of it, including application parameters. So when you're applying an application policy, it's not just service A can or cannot speak with service B, which is also layer seven, right? Because you're using the names and you're not using IPs and it's abstracted inside the mesh. And if the, the service, because everything in Kubernetes is ephemeral, that's an important thing to have. Address the service in its name and not in its IP or, or something like that. But regardless of that, you are already inside the application. So you can say if Oren did a login, to the front end, he can get to version A, which is service A, and he cannot get to version B, which is service B. You can create geolocations. If Oren did a login from the US or London, send him to our London pop and not to the US pop, right? 
Um, and all of those different things are available because you are inside the application and you can see that different uh, parameters in the application layer. Okay. So uh, let's say I'm an enterprise and I'm running Kubernetes and uh, uh, I have an enterprise application, a production enterprise application running on top of it. When would be the time that I think, okay, I guess I need a service mesh? I mean, this what would be the decision point for, okay, let's implement a service mesh? And can you talk us a little bit about what does it mean, the security, the operations, the, I mean, how do you implement those, this, uh, what are the design considerations for that? Yeah. Um, so first of all, why or when uh, to, to basically use service mesh? And I, I will add just maybe one question. Uh, why are we focusing on uh, enterprise? Ah, uh, <laughs> maybe the decision is for all. I don't know. Uh, the, so, the question is for Oren, not for you. <laughs> in this case, the decision is for all. Okay. Uh, and there's, there's, you're getting into a point where one of the consumers, uh, internal consumers, right? Not your customers. Your internal consumers of the technology needs to have a solution for a challenge. It can be the security teams that want encryption. It can be the operations team that wants visibility and understanding of user experience and other things. And it can be your DevOps team that wants to create, I don't know, like rolling upgrades of the application. And they want to do that across different clusters and different and without boundaries of networking or, so, or something like that. So it's important to understand that service mesh, if you ask who is the consumer, the internal consumers, there's different consumers in different teams. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the number one decision point if and when to implement service mesh is if one of those consumers needs a solution right now for the problem that they have. Uh, about implementation of service mesh, that's, uh, it depends on the complexity of the application. It depends on the complexity of the environment. Service meshes allows you also to create a virtual networking bridge across different clusters and across different domains and across different clouds. So service mesh allows you to basically extend your mesh outside of Kubernetes, first of all, if you have VMs or something like that, but regardless of that, to other Kubernetes clusters across different, let's say, clouds. So think about an application that are using several services in AWS, but has several components that has to be on-premise and secure. And you want to connect the dots between those different clusters, which is in different clouds, right? Private cloud and public cloud. And you want to create a fabric of network, which will allow you to address those services seamlessly, as if they are in the same domain, having the same service discovery, having everything encrypted across different domains and different clouds and clusters, and having that visibility for everything. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the point in time where you, you probably gonna think about service mesh is when you get into the more complex architecture of the application. If you have one application and you need to expose that and there's different parameters that you need to, to handle, you will probably gonna use English controllers with a lot of advanced capabilities. I don't know if you're gonna use a mesh, right? Um, a mesh is something that should have like specific requirement, either security or observability um, or and a complex architecture. Okay, there is one more term I want to understand. I'm not sure I understand it completely. I see a lot of times the term a CNI, a container network interface. Is it related to service mesh? Can it exist without service mesh? The, we can equivalent CNI to switch. 
top of rack switch, mm-hmm. exactly the same. CNI is the virtual switch that is part of any container environment, by the way, not just Kubernetes, mm-hmm. uh, although it's a, it's a Kubernetes term, but even if you have container runtime without Kubernetes, you still have the fabric of network for connecting the containers between each other. So it's a, you have a network stack. That's a lower level networking stack that has that is being implemented as part of Kubernetes implementation. And of course, there are several CNIs that will allow you to gain advanced access. And, and, and or you they, they will allow you to gain security policies inside in, inside that lower stack, right? If you've talked about firewall underneath this, the, the service mesh. So by implementing network policies, you can basically allow only 443 connectivity between the different containers, regardless of external firewall that you've mentioned, right? Can implement that inside Kubernetes as well. So think about CNI as your switch. Think about you about your ingress controller as your router, right? And think about service mesh as your application firewall or application gateway. That's if you want to equivalent that to you know things that we already have. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to equivalent things. Okay, that's uh, that's uh, that's really sort things out. Thank you. So, where are we going with that? With this uh, service mesh? Will it? I mean, what what features do you see it's added? Will it be part of Kubernetes, or it will always be an add-on? Um, how does it re- relate? I don't know to API gateways. Give us a couple of words of what where we're we going with that. Well, that's that's a that, that's a really interesting question that has a lot of different aspects. Uh, first of all, service mesh as service mesh. And has a lot of potential. The reason is because when you create that abstracted networking fabric across different clusters and different clouds, it's the first time that we are addressing the different clouds or the different compute environments as one environment from the application side, right? If you don't have the boundaries of compute, you don't have the boundaries of clouds, you're connecting everything in a single networking fabric, now, you have the potential a value of everything on top of it. resiliency, application policies, application uh, uh, SLOs, right? You can create an SLO according to a user behavior or user experience and latency between microservices. You can add security uh, features of API, right? Everything is, if eventually everything is uh, application uh, driven. Most of the communication is, is being directed through APIs. So why not injecting API security into that mesh and understanding also, except of the service discovery, also if you have SQL injection or XSS or something something in that you know, landscape of security inside the application, in the API security side. Have you met, as, as you mentioned, API gateways and service mesh has a lot in common. Why not joining them together? Create a service mesh that also allows you to basically discover APIs outside of the mesh, connect them as part of the mesh or not, encrypt that or not, get visibility about everything inside and outside of the mesh. So basically take that service mesh concept as a control plane for any API that you have in the organization, not just the one that runs in Kubernetes. Um, now, that's about like service mesh and API gateways and, and conceptually the architecture. But technology-wise, we have a lot to go uh, with service mesh and the way the, the service mesh is architected. And uh, right now, think about it, you need to inject the sidecar to each and every one of your pods. From one hand, it's really good because we've decoupled that from the code. From the second hand, if you have one million containers, you have one million 
gateways, right? And so you see a lot of initiatives in the market trying to take that gateway and put that in the kernel of the Linux. And that's where eBPF comes into play. I don't know if we have time to talk about it, but eBPF is basically running a virtual application inside the kernel and allows you to create a lot of manipulations and actions in the kernel space without even getting to the user space, which allows you to get value from like the performance value and, and, and to get things faster than anything else because it's not even going into the user space. Every, everything is being directed in the kernel space. It's also, uh, so I understand, solving the problem of multiple sidecars because it's addressed a lot of containers together because it's not in the user space. Exactly. So if you're, if you're taking that gateway from any pod and you're injecting that into the kernel, you need one per node, not one per pod. Mm-hmm. Right? Because everything is being managed in the kernel space and then it's basically redirected through one pod that is the ingress controller for that node or the gateway for that node and not, not per pod. Now, I, I've been in, in several like customer meetings where they have the concern about the amount of sidecars that is being injected into pods. You're getting into a ridiculous number, like seven, eight sidecar in a pod because That architecture is not just service message. It's also security, mm-hmm. security agents or encryption, or uh, there's a lot of different services that is being injected into the pod. And customers are being now is, are being impatient in, in like getting more and more containers inside one pod. So if you ask me what's the future of service meshing in the architectural side of thing of technology, I think it will be that a service, a, 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 a server, a, a sidecarless, Service mesh, basically taking that sidecar and putting that in, in the kernel mode. Okay. And recently we were talking a lot about cloud networks that stretch above, uh, beyond the cloud, like for instance, 5G networks and maybe stretching up to the endpoints. How does service mesh interact with that? That's exactly what I've said about service mesh and the way that it can reach out to other clouds and other computes and even to the edge itself. And the way that you're addressing networking in general uh, will change. If you're, if you're thinking about taking the network concepts and the network services into layer seven and implement everything inside layer seven, now you don't have any boundaries, right? Because you will get to the endpoint, to the edge, to the cellular tower, right? Uh, in, in some way from communication perspective, the way that you will manage that endpoint That's where service mesh is getting into play. Instead of creating a router inside that cellular tower, a switch, a firewall, and all the different services, network services that you know about right now, if you're getting there with a simple communication and you're getting with layer seven communication into that cell tower, now you can manage everything inside that uh, uh, layer seven service mesh tunnel. Now, the simple way that I can address that is if you think about it, think about like, IPVPN, right? It's a point-to-point VPN, point-to-point encryption that has everything inside that tunnel. Service mesh is any point-to-any point VPN, right? That's exactly the point. You have something which is decentralized, but connected and managed by the same control point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, gotcha. Yeah. 
Okay, so trying to summarize and recap everything. So in the cloud native environment, we're building microservices where we break the application into smaller components. And this is where we get extra complexity because those different components start to talk to each other over the network and we have challenges of uh, visibility, availability, who can talk to each other, what are the boundaries, and uh, this is exactly what we use Service Mesh for. Service Mesh basically allows us to bring granularity of permissions from layer seven and below into the into the network level. We can say who can talk to each other. We can talk about authorization. We can talk about uh, we can give different uh, permissions into the to the actual network layer. From the architectural point side, we basically we need to integrate those into the containers. And the way to do this is sidecars, which is basically another container that contains uh, application logic inside our pods. And this is also, as I understand from you, this is also the downside because as our network grows, we need more and more those those sidecars and this is something we need to uh, to address and uh, solve if we want service mesh to grow and probably the solution would be some kind of uh, EBF is called that you inject the application logic into the kernel and then you use it to talk to provide logic to multiple uh, containers and basically we are growing we, we service mesh will grow as the SDN predicted i mean we will replace more and more hardware infrastructure networking devices with uh, devices that can simply run containers and install the, basically the networking services on top of them and use more uh, x86 x, x, uh, uh, processors and not unique dedicated hardware like exactly the SDN uh, vision for that. Yeah. Anything you want to, uh, to top on uh, top of us? No, I think we, we summarized that. You summarized that perfectly. Perfect. So thank you for your time. Uh, it's been really interesting. And um, this was uh, actually site opening. I'm going to invest more time in learning about Service Mesh because it sounds like really a lot of the things that we're going to do in security will be based on top of that. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, a, it's just, a base, just a base. It's a fabric that we will build everything on. So it's definitely something that, uh, yeah, you, you should invest the time in. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Great, Oren. Thank you for uh, being with us. Uh, and uh, hello to all the people in, Don in London. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Mm. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.